Hello, everyone. It's your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra here. Wanted to share a few quick words before we start the first episode of season two. First, thank you for being here. The first season was such an inspiring journey filled with insightful interviews and empowering stories from changemakers dedicated to creating positive change that lasts. And I'm delighted to say that season two promises to be just as inspiring and thought-provoking. In this new season, we're bringing you a fresh lineup of extraordinary guests who are trailblazers in their fields. We'll hear from groundbreaking new authors, top LinkedIn voices, and an award-winning financial journalist whose mission is to help people create and maintain personal wealth and prosperous economies. And that's just to name a few. We'll explore their unique experiences, challenges, and successes in their tireless pursuit of a more equitable world. Each episode is a window into their world, offering you practical insights and takeaways to empower your own journey as a changemaker in the areas that mean most to you and your communities. In today's first episode of the season, our guest is A.J. Crable, an accomplished leader in the field of education who has dedicated his career to improving the lives of students by transforming school systems from the ground up. A.J.'s book, Great on Their Behalf, Why School Boards Fail, How Yours Can Be Effective, offers a powerful blueprint for leaders at all levels to shift their focus towards student outcomes and create lasting impact. From my first conversation with AJ, I was not only profoundly inspired by his work and the systemic changes he's been able to make, but also deeply impacted by the universal applicability of great on their behalf's approach to transformative change. It transcends education and can be applied to so many industries and community work. Whether you're actively involved in education or lead within another sphere, AJ's insights on coaching, mindset, and systemic transformation will resonate deeply. So let's get into it. Season two, here we go. Thanks again for tuning in. Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about today's Trailblazing guest, A.J. Crable. Improving student outcomes is A.J. Crable's focus. He serves as conservator at DeSoto, Texas Independent School District. And during his guidance, DeSoto improved from F ratings in academics, finance, and governance to B ratings. He also serves as faculty at Leadership Institute of Nevada and Director of Governance at the Council of the Great City Schools. He served as Deputy Commissioner at the Texas Education Agency and spearheaded reforms as board chair of Kansas City Public Schools that doubled the percentages of students who are literate and numerate. AJ is a recipient of the Education Commission of the State's James Bryant Conant Award. And AJ's new book, Great on Their Behalf, Why School Boards Fail, How Yours Can Be Effective, is a step-by-step -step guide to inspire school board members to adopt a student outcomes-focused mindset as they reevaluate their impact on those they serve. And we'll be talking a lot about that today. 
AJ, I'm so thrilled to have you here for this timely and very far-reaching conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Thank you for being here. Well, let's let's just dive into talking about your impactful work. And I want to start with this sentiment that you have worked with many school boards. You've worked with hundreds of school board leaders through coaching. Can you talk about some of the ways, the main reasons why you see school boards fail? Yeah, probably a, an important place to start is that one thing that seems to unify school board members all across the country is that we are profligate do-gooders. Like we frequently come from the ranks of parents and teachers who have spent a lot of our time trying to make a difference for children in our various contexts. And the school board just wants to be an extension of that. And so it's critical to understand that failure in the school board context is pretty much never a result of a insufficient desire to really see children be amazing usually has nothing to do with folks not working hard enough or not wanting it badly enough. And in fact, when you look at national studies that have been done on the topic of school boards in school systems where there was high student performance, and you ask them, what do you all most focus on? What's most important to you? And the, and the board members in those high-performing school systems will say, most important thing to us is that we're improving student outcomes. And then you go to the school boards in your lowest performing districts and you ask them what their focus is and what they care most about, they'll tell you we're deeply focused on improving student outcomes. But then so that the message is consistent, the, the desire is consistent. What this tells us is that caring about what's possible for children is probably necessary, but definitely insufficient. And so we dive into, I'd like to start there in response to your question though, because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, this is a dysfunctional board because these people are, you know, horrible people and they just don't care enough about children. If I was on the school board, I would be the magical component that would make all the difference. And that's foolish of the highest order. Uh, if people actually believe that, that actually probably lack the disposition necessary to be transforming the lives of children, you need to spend more time in therapy and get your arrogance under control. The reality is this isn't a, we've got bad people. But it is that we have placed them in systems that aren't designed for them to be successful. And in the book, I identify three key ways that this is the case. But again, these all wind up being systemic failures that mean whatever people we put in those positions, they're most likely not going to be successful when these failures are present. Uh, the first that I describe is failures of knowledge. It just goes into the reality that we're not really training board members to actually focus on the things that matter most and all of the safety nets that are supposed to be in place that would guide them in that direction actually pretty consistently guide them away from being focused on the things that matter most. In addition to failures of knowledge, there's failures of skill. And so we aren't training our board members. That means they're not actually practicing the behaviors that are most aligned with improvements in student outcomes. And so they're just not gaining that fluency, not getting that capacity with the skill set that would most make a difference. And then in addition to failures of knowledge and skill, there's just like fundamental failure, which is a failure of mindset, a, a failure of being clear about the distinction between adult inputs, all of the things that go into a school system, the budgets and the buses and the books and the burgers and everything else. It's failure to distinguish between 
adult inputs and the student outcomes. What are the measurements that let us know our students actually improving on what they know and are able to do? And the fundamental dysfunction here of mindset is if you can't distinguish between an adult input and a student outcome, you certainly will struggle to make student outcomes the thing that you focus all of your attention on if you can't even distinguish one in a lineup. I want to go back to something you said about the knowledge piece, so knowledge, skills, mindset, and I want to talk about each of these. Going back to knowledge, you said we need to be steering towards these, this knowledge around, you know, what it's going to take to to move the needle on those student outcomes, and yet we're we're actually pushing the exact opposite. Oftentimes, what are some of the ways in which the people that are in these systems inadvertently undermine both student and educator needs? Well, to give you Again, a systemic example, one of the things my team and I did is we conducted this study of school board conference session offerings. So you, you would expect folks would go and get professional development from conferences where we grabbed the list of sessions from a number of these conferences over a three-year period and coded every single session. It was hundreds and hundreds of sessions that we coded up horrible way to spend a few weeks of my life. <laughs> but we coded all of these sessions, really looking for what percentage of them or what different things were they focused on. And what it revealed is the percentage of them that were actually focused on helping board members pay attention to and really focus their work on improving student outcomes versus sessions that really were driving a focus on adult inputs. And at the end of it all, what we found is, I think it was less than 4% of all the sessions actually helped provide training in the areas of knowledge or skill around a focus on student outcomes, around setting goals, around listening to the community for its vision for student outcomes, around being clear about what it looks like to actually measure progress relative to the outcomes that we want for students, or, or monitoring progress to see if the school system actually improving over time. It, at serving children, at being more effective, at helping have the impact that communities want our school systems to have. So less than 4% of the sessions that were offered over this three-year period were in that area. And so it's possible that over this three-year period, and not merely possible, but likely that over this three-year period, if you're a brand new board member and you attend all the sessions that you think you're supposed to attend in order to really grow in your area of leadership, that you could go an entire term without ever having received any type of training, any type of coaching and how to get clear about the community's vision for student outcomes, how to codify those into goals or how to monitor progress toward them over time to see, are we actually conferring the blessing of education to our students? Mm -hmm. So comparing that 4% to what le level of influence school boards actually have on the decision-making and the outputs and the outcomes, how, how does that compare? Well, so the challenge is that certainly school boards, if we're looking at all of the things that have an effect or improvements in student outcomes, if we're looking at, you know, does, does the teacher matter? Do the books matter? Do the instructional materials matter? You know, if we're looking at all the things, certainly the impact of the school board is much lower on a per student basis than having a really amazing teacher in that classroom. 
But when you look at the systems level and when you're looking over time, the effect of the board starts to multiply. And the, the evidence starts to suggest that when we look at the impact of effective education leadership, that it can really make a difference in right shifting the performance curve for the entire student body over time, that significant increase in education leadership performance can cause significant movement as a system. And part of what I believe is the mechanism for that is, yeah, I tell a story about a school board meeting I was watching and a 45 minute debate of the board culminates with one of the board members slamming his fist on the day and says, I am philosophically opposed to non-yellow school buses, uh, which I found to be this profoundly odd statement to be making. I, I didn't even realize there was a philosophy of school bus coloration. Like, <laughs> is there a Pantone priestess that I need to get in contact with? But the result of that is that over the next two weeks, guess what the administration spends a lot of their time doing? Mm-hmm. School bus discussions, I would imagine. Yeah, they're doing research in the school buses. Um, the local teachers union, they get involved. They have a survey. You know, teachers, what do you think about school bus coloration? You know, the local newspaper gets involved. And they, they're putting out, you know, they've got an editorial about school bus coloration. At the next board meeting, guess what happens? I don't even know. <laughs> the administration shows up and presents on all the evidence of all the things that they learned over these two weeks. They, they spend, yes. So the time of the meeting also was taken up with this. More time. More time. It is the end of all of this. The board took absolutely no action. Nothing changed. That was what I wasn't sure about guessing on. Like, did something happen or? If you had guessed nothing, <laughs> you would have guessed correctly. And the, the challenge is that all of that time and energy is time and energy that our teachers weren't getting the supports that they needed because folks were busy chasing down bus color issues and our students weren't getting the supports that they needed because the folks who were responsible for providing that support uh, from central office were busy chasing down bus colorations and and instead of focusing all their energy on how am i helping little aj learn this week teachers are filling out surveys about bus coloration and instead of spending all their time thinking about how can we as a community volunteer to get deeply invested in a lot of the children's community community folks are busy reading editorials about bus coloration and, and the collective focus of adults begins to wane and what's possible for children it's a little bit less a little bit less in these moments that, that the focus of the board which is the genesis of all of this can either drive us as a community of adults into a more deep and meaningful focus on how are we serving our children how are we attending to the needs that they are bringing into our classroom day by day or can serve to drive that focus away from those things. And in so doing, my suspicion is that the students who have other safety nets who are going to buoy them up are probably going to be just fine. But our most educationally vulnerable children suffer when the attention of the board is not disciplined, not intensely focused on improving student health. That's such a, that's such a perfect example. And I'm sure there are thousands of those types of examples of the distractions that get in the way of, we don't know where we're going, so we're just going to focus over here because this feels really urgent. Everybody's talking yeah. about it. Yeah, this is what people seem to have energy around. And so I'm just trying to be conscientious. As a board member, I was at this conference and they were talking about school bus colors. And so I'm 
I'm just trying to make sure that I'm doing the best thing I can do to protect children. And, and inside of all of that desire to be great on behalf of children they serves, it's not a desire gap. It, it's, a, it's a knowledge, skill, mindset gap that, that is holding us as leaders back from the things that we, that we most desire to accomplish. So I want to talk more about how we do that. But first I want to hear, because I really enjoyed hearing this story on our, on our pre-conversation around how you came to this work in the first place and <laughs> started to see all these things and see what was going on. But, but what drove you to serving in the first place? My path to serving on my local school board is a lot like other people's paths. I'm just trying to be a conscientious parent and trying to make a difference, not only for my kid, but all the kids surrounding my kid, because I think what most parents quickly realize is that if the kids on either side of your kid ain't doing so well, then your kid's probably not going to do so well either. So just trying to make a difference for, you know, the young people in my sphere of influence. Um, and if one thing led to another, and I think you just show up at too many meetings and you wind up on the school board. Yeah, too much to say. Just keep coming back and saying it. <laughs> and what What was your education? What was your experience in the public school system like as you were growing up? I had some real blessings. Bounced around quite a bit as a young person, and so I you know, attended a lot of different schools. And so I was always a little bit of the new kid everywhere I went. And so, you know, if I'm still socially awkward to this day, I, I blame that. But inside of that kind of social awkwardness and sometimes shyness and sometimes really inappropriate outburst of behavior, I was blessed to have you know, a handful of educators who really stepped up for me and really put their arms around this frustrating and often angry little kid who was working very hard not to do all the things being demanded very hard to push people away. You know, and there are just some educators out here that they can't be pushed, can't be convinced, and they can't be deceived into believing there's not possibility in the students in front of them. And such is the nature of some of the amazing educators I had the privilege to be served by. They, uh, they, they would see past the behaviors I was presenting and toward what they believed was more potential than I was standing in. And that's, that's certainly a blessing that has made all the difference for me, that gives me the opportunity to be in this conversation today. And it certainly inspires me to try to, to create those conditions uh, for uh, the next little AJs coming along. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're talking about teachers too, because we know that they have such a high level of influence. And like you said, on those individual lives, student lives. Yeah. And yet my mom was a teacher for many decades, third, mostly fourth and fifth grade. And I just saw her withering under the pressure of these systems that were not designed for student outcomes. She's trying and pushing. And I know I, I, every teacher is, but when they're in these systems that are making it so challenging. And then on the flip side, job is already incredibly hard and the more noise we add into a teacher's day-to-day -day job the harder we make it for them 
to be effective. If, if we come in and every day there's this new curriculum or new program or new something and okay, now everybody run to the right. 15 minutes later, okay, now everybody run to the left. And it's just constant churn of things that conspire to rob teachers of their focus. Like that's, that's not on them. That's on us. Like we didn't create the conditions for their success. And, and that is a real byproduct of poor leadership. You know, when I've seen teachers who have left one school and gone to another and taken a $5,000 pay cut to do so, it's like, why, why would you take a $5,000 pay cut to go from a fourth grade class over here to a fourth grade class over there? Like, look, you can't pay me enough to be around crazy. Um, and and what they're expressing in that moment is like, I just want to serve kids. Like that's, that's what I'm here to do. And, and if I can be over here and do that with less noise or be over here and do that with more noise, I choose less noise again. And our teachers shouldn't have, that's not, a, that shouldn't be the choice. That shouldn't be the choice. But that's, that's the challenge of ineffective leadership is that it creates a noisy environment and in which we make it harder for our teachers to reveal what's on their hearts rather than easier. Mm -hmm. And in great on their behalf, you talk about this main paradigm of student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change and talking about ineffective leadership based on those mindsets. So what do we do or how do you help the leadership to kind of move through that mindset and move towards a more outcomes driven one. Well, the thing that we found that matters most uh, tends to be coaching rather than just training. So some people think, oh, we'll just do this quick workshop or we'll do this one quick thing and spend three hours on this and all. And if you're looking for how do we sustain improvements over time in leadership, uh, the correct answer to that appears to be coaching. You know, the training is a good start, but then you need ongoing support to implement whatever the training was. You need somebody who can constantly be there, not to tell you what you want to hear, but to tell you what you need to hear. Somebody who can constantly help you come back to focus, back to center. Hey, are you creating more signal in your school system? Or are you creating more noise in your school system? And so having that type of support that can then help leverage whatever training you've received in the areas of knowledge, skill, and mindset, having that ongoing support to create a system of accountability for me as a leader to constantly improve and constantly replay the video, you know, just like an effective coach would after the game, you go back and you, you replay the game footage to figure out what worked, what didn't work. And my sense is that while an effective leader can do this on their own, most often we're not because we're so busy doing the work. The taking the time to be reflective often uh, doesn't, doesn't get done, but having a really effective coach is helping support you. And so one of the, one of the things that I would wish for all of your school leaders is that certainly at the principal level, the superintendent level and the board level, that all these folks should have access to coaching. That should just be a natural aspect of the job. if I'm a principal, I shouldn't have to wonder, do I get a coach? It should just be automatic. Of course, of course, we're going to provide you a coach. Of course, we're going to provide you with that support uh, and a not evaluative coach, to be clear. Not somebody who's there to evaluate you for your, your job, but somebody who's just there to help you be the best version of yourself. I would want that for every principal. I would want that for 
every superintendent, every board. Um, in the same way that we have normalized the provision of instructional coaching for teachers, uh, it doesn't make sense to me that we don't automatically provide coaching for our building leaders are in our system. Yeah, and your audience of school board leaders is school districts. My audience is organizations. And yet I feel like we're speaking the same language in that. And it's training is one thing, but there's so much nuance and specificity in navigating the unique challenges that you will face and encounter. Absolutely. School bus coloration being one of many, <laughs> many, many examples. What a good of <laughs> Well, what happened there? What part was yours to own to do differently next time? And let's talk about it. Let's talk about like what we can do to to just change how you how you show up or your own levels of self awareness because we all have that. We're all carrying yeah. that. It's it's just like therapy. Well, no, it's not. Very important distinction. It's not like therapy in terms of working on that part of you, but it is a little like like work therapy too. Like I don't have anyone else to express these things to. And I want to be yeah. vulnerable and say I messed up and have a safe space to, to process, process what I can do next and just acknowledge that this is really hard work. And I see you. Absolutely. Well, and especially you think of the role of the principal that you are generally seen as the apex decision maker in your respective building. That can often be really, really and just lonely, lonely role. You think of, you know, superintendent often considers the apex decision maker and for the management of the organization. It could be a really lonely role. You think of board members, even though there's typically five, seven, nine of them, I gotta tell you, it is a lonely, lonely path. And that there's so much stress and so much of a burden of having a personal responsibility that has been handed to you by your community for the welfare of it. every single child in your community. And it could be just a really lonely place. And so in that regard, having someone who's not there to be your friend, you know, not there to be one of your constituents, not coming, asking for something. This is often the nature of leadership is that people are constantly asking you to pour into them, but nobody's kind of really refilling your cup. And so the, the function of a coach being helpful and it's somebody who's helping you reflect on your practice and also helping to refill your cup, not coming, seeking anything from you, helping support you and being the best version of yourself on behalf of the students that you serve. And, and so, yeah, it's, it, it's tough work, but if, but if we're going to entrust the well-being of so many children into these leaders' hands, uh, then it's an investment of time and energy and resources that, that I would want every school system across the country. So important to start there with mindset. And I want to spend some time talking about like, how do you actually do this? How do you, I know you have your, your, the five steps that you talk about in the book. And I wanted to see if you might share a little bit about how you work that process within a school board. Yeah, I do the same thing with teachers and principals and superintendents and school boards, uh, in the realm of mindset. And I, I can walk through a little bit of that because that conversation is less role specific and more just about the business of human um, inside of any system of humans. Uh, so if we remove all the human from the school system, then none of this will apply. But as long as that's not the case, then the, the conversation winds up being much the same. 
And the, the, the first place I often begin is just inviting people to replay the video, um, to think of themselves as the coach in their own life. But we're going to take a moment, we're going to breathe, we're going to kind of ground ourselves, and then we're going to reflect on when was a time when my choices, when my adult behaviors may have made it harder for our students to be successful and, and really dial into this moment of opportunity where I could have moved in the direction of improving student outcomes or I could have moved in this other direction. And I want to dial into that moment when I chose to move in this other direction where my behavior wasn't aligned with my beliefs, values, and commitments to children. Uh, then my behavior is something else. And, and to really dig into that and begin to notice it and try to think of what, what were the contours of the mind in that moment? What, what, where was my focus? To what was I attending in that moment that had me take this left rather than a right that, that had me move away from a focus on student outcomes rather than toward a focus on student outcomes. And really just being with leaders, not making this about right or wrong or good or bad, just making it about reflection. Just, we're just replaying the video. We're not, we're not casting judgment about the video not in, in the same way that an athletic coach would. Yeah, after I watch the game, I'm noticing all the play calls that I made. That These were just these were not optimal play calls that these didn't, these contribute to us not performing at the level we could. And, and I replayed the video, whether I won the game or I lost the game. Not like I only replay the video when I, when I lose, whether I won or lost the game, there's still an opportunity for continual improvement that comes from just taking time to replay the video. And so that's, that's the beginning of this, this engagement at the level of mindset of really inviting people to get present to what are my beliefs, values, and commitments. And, and what are specific moments where I wasn't living into those? And what were the habits of the mind that were at work in that moment that I can really begin to inquire into, interrogate, and see what, what are patterns of behavior of mind that might be leading it away from my beliefs, values, and commitments towards children uh, that I can begin to examine and try to figure out what's underneath of this. And in so doing, our idea of mindset is that it's descriptive of how do I see the world? How does the world occur to me? When things are taking place, how, how do I see them unfold? And so when little AJ doesn't pass the math quiz, is my way of viewing that, you know what, I told you little AJ doesn't want to learn. Like he, he doesn't care about it. He doesn't care about learning. That, that's a mindset. It's a way of viewing the world. Or little AJ doesn't have the math, pass the math quiz. Is my way of thinking, you know, he, he wants this, uh, but there, there's clearly a gap between where he's at and where he wants to be. And my job is to be the bridge, you know, over that gap. That's a mindset. That's just, and, and in both of those scenarios, what has happened in reality has not changed. The only distinction in these two moments is my way of viewing the work. And so this opportunity to replay the video, what we begin to inquire into is what was my view of the world in the moment that led to the performance that didn't honor my intentions, um, and get present to what is it in that moment that would have made a difference? You know, what, what mindset had I been standing in, in that moment would have really been transformative in my interactions with little AJ. So that's, that's the nature of the work. And again, that's regardless of whether that's at the teacher level, the principal, the superintendent, the school board, or really anyone in the community. It's, it's just an opportunity to reflect what, what is my mindset? What behavior is that mindset given rise to? And in getting present to all of that, uh, what are new choices I can make to begin to create a new future for a little AJ 
all the students in our school. Mm-hmm. And when you have everyone, all of these leaders going through this process simultaneously, that level of self-awareness Absolutely. increases, that alignment increases too, because you talked about values and belief systems. Well, hey, if we've never even explored or inspected those, of course yeah. we're making decisions unconsciously that are doing the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And so once you once you work, do that work, and actually it's, I'm sure, very ongoing, ongoing work, uh, you talk about the next step is being clarifying priorities. So yeah. focus mindset, clarify priorities, and then get into monitor progress. But how do you start that that work of aligning everyone on this shared vision? Well, and so as you can probably imagine, there's a reason that focus mindset comes first is because if, if I'm, if I'm standing inside of this disempowering mindset, the rest of the steps don't matter. <laughs> the rest of the steps will not save you. If I'm committed that little AJ doesn't care, little AJ doesn't want to learn, uh, you know, little AJ, he's just a bad kid. There's nothing to do except for wait for a good kid to come along inside of that mindset. No other set of knowledge and skills will be transforming for little AJ. They'll just be more seed thrown on hardened, parched earth. Nothing will grow in that context. And so having a focused mindset is clearly, clearly, clearly the first step in, in this journey toward actually being focused on improving student outcomes. Uh, but once, you know, we'll fast forward into the future and the mindset, we've already struggled with that. Then the next step in that is clarifying the priorities, getting getting clear about what is it that uh, we're all going to be focused on. The way I invite people to think about this is, you know, imagine you're in a canoe and you've got 10 people in the canoe and they've all got the paddles and they're all rowing. And they're all rowing as hard as they possibly can. And if they all happen to be rowing in the exact same direction, that will have one effect. And if they're all rowing in different directions and they have different angles of attack and they're all rowing at different pacing and all of these other things, then, uh, then there's, that's going to be a very different effect than if they're all rowing in alignment. And, and so that's the critical opportunity that clarifying the priorities provides is it gives us a chance to say, okay, what are we all rowing toward? That's, that's the first step. Even before we do anything else, what direction are we all trying to move in together? And so it's clarifying the priorities in the school context is all about getting clear about what's the vision that the community has for what students should know and be able to do and what are the values that the community has that are non-negotiables have to be honored. And then the school board having an obligation as being the community's representative to codify the vision and codify the values. We refer to this process as the creation of goals and guardrails and say, what are the things that are going to be the priorities that we focus on? Because there's so many possible priorities. The board has to narrow that down to, we say, preferably about three goals, about three guardrails, definitely no more than five. That this is, that's the direction we're all, we're all rowing in. But that's necessary, but also insufficient. So once you've got a focused mindset and you've clarified the priorities, the third step in the process is then you have to start to align the resources. Like, and so clarifying the priorities is to say that's, we're headed to that shore over there on the other side of the lake. Aligning the resources and say, okay, now let's all row at the same time and let's row at the same depth and let's get our timing together. And when you see folks who are you know, racing professionally and you see this entire group of people in the boat rowing as one, 
And the benefit of rowing is one is we just get to the destination more quickly and more safely. And that's, that's what's intended behind aligning the resources is we're trying to figure out now that we've clarified the priorities, what are all the things we need to do all day, every day to try to align all of our work so that we're rowing as one in the direction that the, that we've identified in our priorities. And after that, it's the, the last two steps, the continual improvement process are monitoring the progress and then taking time to communicate results because uh, school systems don't work for themselves. They work for the community. So it's important that after we've focused the mindset, we've clarified the priorities, we've monitored results, we've aligned resources, that we go back to the people to whom the school system is accountable and say, hey, here's, here's where our students were, here's where we're trying to get to, you know, here's where we are right now. And, and you know, we're on track to, to have the impact we intended, or we're not on track and here's some of the adjustments we're making. So that, that communicating results back to the community is an important step in that continual improvement process. And then, and then you start that over again and you just keep looking, how can we go a little bit better and a little bit more effective year over year, month over month, day over day first. And then when that system, that process is in place, I bet it matters much less when school board members leave and new ones come on board. This is a real challenge is that there are all too often where a superintendent will leave and then all of a sudden everything changes. This is problematic. It shouldn't all be contingent on one person or really effective principal leave and then everything changes. Similarly, you know, a few board members, we have an election, a few board members change it and then everything changes. These, these are not signs of function is that ideally we're not leading a school system on personalities and on the whims of a few individuals that we're building systems and that people plug into those systems and they've got a norm into those systems. And, um, and certainly there's constant room for improvement. So it's not about protecting some status quo, but it is about being clear. We are rowing in this direction, but we've been working to align in this direction. We can definitely begin to look at changes that are going to help us row faster and help us be more aligned in our rowing. What we're not going to do is say, hey, we need to jump out of this boat and um, find a jet ski. Uh, like, no, we're, we're going to stay. We're going to stay the course that we're on. And we are going to constantly be accountable. for How are we improving on that? Uh, and so are there times when things have gone catastrophically wrong and we're not at all meeting the needs of our students and that we need to completely recalibrate and rethink our overall strategy? Certainly. That's why we'd recommend at least once every three to five years that the board do this, that the board take a comprehensive look at where are we really shifting, but then that we give the system that three to five year period to actually implement the plan to try to to try to improve student outcomes. But changing that every single year, this this is a path to fail. Yeah, it gets change fatigue. It gets people just, I don't know where to focus, so I won't focus on any of that. I'll be over here. Mm -hmm. I'll just be waiting for all this to pass over. Yeah, I, I've been through this before. They say they're going to do something. They never do. So yep. I'll, just, I'll just keep doing what wait I'm doing. Out. I'll just do my <laughs> own thing and wait it out. And, and, and when teachers behave that way, I don't consider that a failing the teacher. I consider that a failing the leadership that the teacher has experienced. I really appreciate in that, in the last step of all of this, it's focused on communicating results. Because again, I know 
you're focused on schools, I'm focused on organizations, or we're, we're focused on these systems, though, ultimately. And when there's so much disgruntled things, and, and there's this conflict, like, you're not doing anything. Well, yes, we are, you just don't know about it. Right. Did you tell them? <laughs> yeah, did you actually communicate at some point? And did you tell them when it didn't work? Whether it worked or didn't work, not the candy-coated, but, you know, but the raw, unvarnished. Here's what worked, here's what didn't work, and here's mm-hmm. what we're doing to make adjustments. I do get truly frustrated with school systems I'm working with where there's this strong, strong desire. And I understand where it comes from, this strong desire to try to put the best foot forward. But I do not believe that that is the ideal way of inspiring people to be at their best. I, I trust that people, adults and children, can handle reality. We can say, hey, here's where we started. Here's what we intended to be, but we actually landed here. Let's talk about what worked, what didn't work, and then let's get back after it and, and see what's the next step that we can create. I, I, I believe in people to be able to handle that conversation. So this idea that we have to sugarcoat things because we might make people mad and all the parents will leave. I trust the maturity of folks that if you communicate it, that folks can handle it. And now you have to communicate it effectively and you have to build that relationship. You have to build that trust. Um, but I would rather boards work on that than play hide the ball and hope nobody figures it out. People are smart. They'll figure yeah, it out. Absolutely. They will. Well, one of my favorite questions, and especially knowing your work, I want to <laughs> know <laughs> what's making you feel hopeful right now. And there are so many things that, you know, waiting for the question because I, just was visiting with my superintendent earlier this morning, and we had an intention for a group of our elementary students to grow in a particular set of literacy skills. And we were expecting, okay, we're going to go from X percentage to X plus eight. And instead, we wound up, we just, just looking at the data, instead, that growth is like 2X. I mean, they just completely blew things out of the water. What it reminds me is that when we give our teachers the support they deserve, that what they can show and what our students can show is going to blow people away. And that anytime that that's not happening, that has to be the cause for leadership to stop and replay the video to figure out, okay, what am I doing such that our teachers and students aren't revealing the best version of themselves? What adjustments can I make in my choices, my behavior? They can really create this space of transformation for our teachers and our students. And so having been on this journey for a while and watching our school systems a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, and outperforming the school systems around us who we used to be, you know, behind and now we're slightly ahead, that just watching the process work of of just that commitment to improvement, that commitment to this ruthless interrogation of what's working and not working for our students uh, at all levels of the organization and, and having systems in place so the adults can track our track our behaviors to figure out, are we actually becoming more effective over time? Like just watching that work and now in next month's board meeting, uh, we'll have literally more than 200 students who will be trying to figure out how to honor because they've met this incredible growth threshold that we only expected this many to meet, but this many met. And it's just mm-hmm. when, I, when I see what our students and uh, teachers can accomplish when we authentically find ways to give them supports that they require, 
Uh, it gets me all fired up. So you, you picked me on a great day because um, I, I just got that re- praise report back and can't wait until uh, next month's board meeting when we get to uh, celebrate so many of our, our students and the teachers and families that have helped them along the journey. It's so powerful. And it's those moments that, right, like, this is why. Oh, yeah, yeah this absolutely. is why. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, AJ, you are such a trailblazer for educational justice, for really working from the roots up to make this change and to make it lasting. One of the questions we always like to ask on this show is, who have been a few of your personal trailblazers who paved the way for you? Yeah, I'm I'm really called to uh, a couple of my teachers, um, and I've bragged on them a lot lately. But... Part of the reason is because they really exemplify the confluence of a powerful knowledge base, a powerful skill set, and an unwavering mindset. I mean, that was my economics teacher, was Murphy, my uh, history teacher, Mr. DeBarth, my senior year. And just the extent to which not only were they just absolutely incredibly knowledgeable in their craft, incredibly skillful in the pedagogy and, and their delivery. Uh, I, I still, to this day, rely on some of the instructional strategies that I first was exposed to in their respective classrooms, but then just their unwavering mindset that they were going to challenge and push me and all the students in the classroom to greatness, whether we wanted it or not. And all the ways that I pushed back against that and all the ways that they were effective at pushing back on my pushing back. I had a chance to visit with uh, Mrs. Murphy recently, uh, tracked her down, home, had a conversation, uh, reached out and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me or not. She's like, oh, I remember you. I know exactly who you are. You know, I followed your whole career. I know everything about you. Um, and I'm just so proud. I'm, I'm just kind of taken aback. I wasn't expecting this level. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting anything like this. I, I was going to act like I'm sure you've had thousands of students. And then she told me a story about how some things came up missing. Remember, I'm always the new kid, so I'm brand new at this school, but I also happen to be one of the few students of color at this school. She tells me the story about how some things came up missing and people just automatically said it was obviously AJ and how she and some of the other staff conspired to prevent the school system from going after me. And when I asked, well, but y'all didn't know me. I was this brand new kid. And they said, we intentionally had the conversation that we actually don't care if you did it or not. We, we knew that you were homeless at the time. And we figured if, if you took the things, it, it was probably out of some need. And we didn't think that that was a compelling enough reason for you to no longer be in school. There was some great opportunity for you. And so, and so we fought to protect it, even though we were certain at the time that, yeah, maybe he did do it. But that's not a compelling reason for him to lose out on receiving education. And like that level of commitment to children, that's just, that's unbelievable. It's like, I, even if children are showing up and they're behaving in a way that is completely outside of what is appropriate, that that doesn't change my belief on what's possible for them. Like that, like there is nothing I did to earn that level of devotion, that level of commitment, but I can definitely felt even though I only learned that story last year, um, I felt that that was what it was at play in my life every minute I walked into her classroom. 
And so that it's that level of commitment on behalf of the teachers in our schools that goes unsung, unnoticed, unlauded day after day. But that's what's happening. Like you know, as we see children continuing to do amazing things, that's what's happening often entirely unknown behind the scenes is that teachers are making critical decisions about what is the unique decision that needs to be made in this particular case that's going to reveal what's possible for the student. And, you know, for that trailblazing in my life, I'm eternally grateful. And we're eternally grateful that you've turned it into this work. You've turned it into this book that gives others a guide because we can't clone you, unfortunately. But And the people that you've worked with and the people that have taught you how to lead with student outcomes, how to lead with yeah. heart and care and empathy and connection rather than some nebulous, undefinable yeah. thing that we're looking at. So thank you, AJ. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for this book, Great on Their Behalf. Everyone will put a link directly to it. How can people stay supporting this work and, and what you're trying to create? Yeah, if folks really have a passion for school systems, then I would invite them to check out the book, greatontheirbehalf.com, and learn more. There's resources you can download and all that stuff. If folks are just wanting to have more of a conversation about potentially stepping in and, and serving as coaches for school boards and superintendents, you know, whether you've just been an educator and you've been around the education system and feel like you have something to offer, or you've been a school board member or a superintendent, but what I'm really drawn to right now is just trying to multiply that impact by helping more people walk the path of becoming coaches and being of service to our educational leaders, helping them away from this path of adult input focus that so many of the systems have errantly put them on and helping coach folks toward a focus on student outcomes. And so if there are people who feel in any way a calling, you know, in your spirit to, to be of service in that way, to, to walk the path of becoming a nationally certified school board coach. Um, then I just encourage people to email me directly, just aj at ajcrable.com. It's just aj at ajcrable.com. We'll include that in the notes too. What an amazing offer to look at. Well, there's, there's all these things that we can do and here's how you can help. Thank you for giving the call. Thank you for writing this book. Thinking for, thank you for showing up to do this work every day because the ripple effect is, is something that we can hardly even know today. And thank you for having this conversation today because I learned so much. And that's the last thing I'll say before we close out is that even if you're not in the school system actively right now, you, you, you know, someone who is, you, you have a kid who is, that's right. you have friends who are, but also what you talk about here is systems you can apply to basically any system yeah. too. Wherever there are humans. Yeah. Wherever systems exist, there's there's something to be gained from reading this particular book and, and this model that you've created and presented here. So thank you for being here, AJ. Thank you so much again. I really just enjoy the energy and the vibrancy that you bring to this. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you found this conversation meaningful, please rate and review the podcast wherever